0: Oh, good evening. I'm so glad to be with you tonight in one of the most beautiful portions of scripture and right off the cuff, waiting, right? We love waiting. We're so good at waiting. When we go to the doctor's office and we get in and we go to the little window and we check in and they hand us that dreaded clipboard. You know the one I'm talking about, right? With the stack of papers, all the questions, you got to check the boxes, yada, yada, it's long, it's boring, I'd rather not, but isn't it also kind of revealing? Doesn't it also let us check off those boxes? Maybe we hadn't considered we had a symptom. We had something wrong on the inside. It kind of highlights that for us, right? Tonight we're going to see a little glimpse of what's going on in the hearts of the Israelites, and it's going to look real familiar. It's going to look real familiar. When we experience times of waiting, it proves what's in our hearts. So as we begin, let's remember where the people of God are. They are at the base of Mount Sinai, having already received the Ten Commandments um, and a myriad of other laws from Moses' mouth, correct? And they, from their mouths, have agreed to do all and obey all that the Lord has said. Covenant established. All right. Then Moses went back up the mountain to receive intricate plans concerning the Lord's dwelling place among his people, the way in which he should be worshipped. And while the Lord is above inscribing his covenant with them, they are below breaking their covenant with him. That's where they are. Now let's take a good look at how covenant people experience sanctification during times of waiting first we're going to see how transgression leads us broken then we will discuss the role of intercession in the life of god's people lastly we will witness the beauty of restoration between god and man you with me tonight let's head chapter 32 at the top When the people saw that Moses delayed in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, Come, make gods for us who will go before us. Because this Moses, the man who brought us out from the land of Egypt, we don't even know what's happened to him. Times of waiting prove what's in our hearts. We long to worship, but our human tendency is towards idolatry. If we had that clipboard with that checklist of symptoms maybe referring to idolatry, it might ask questions such as these. Do you feel abandoned? Saying, where is God in all this? Do you feel doubtful? Are you even doing something? Are you maybe anxious during the waiting? Well, what am I going to do now? Or maybe you feel entitled. I don't deserve this. We, too, are anxious, but we're anxious to worship something, and this is idolatry. This is us. Not only do we want to worship something, we want to worship something with a form of godliness. In high school, I had a particular interest in a particular boy that I thought was the one right? And so one evening during conversation, he says, Suzanne, I hope that one day I marry someone just like you. (laughs) I was no longer interested. Why? Because like me, that ain't me. And the same Way we see that they want a form to go before them, but they do not want God. We either want Him for who He is or we don't. Verse 2 Aaron replied to them. Take off your gold rings that are on the ears of your wives, your sons, your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people took off the gold rings that were on their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he took the gold from them and he fashioned it with an engraving tool and he made it into the image of a calf. Aaron, who's thus far been fairly obedient and helpful, now takes this gold from contributing families and fashions it into a less frightening form of the adult version, a bull, a more approachable form, the form of a calf, an image a little less intimidating. Then they said, Israel, these are your gods who brought you up from the land of Egypt. And when Aaron saw this, he built an altar in front of it and he made an announcement. There will be a festival to the Lord tomorrow. Early the next morning they arose, they offered burnt offerings and presented fellowship offerings. The people sat down to eat, to drink, and to party. When he saw this, the attribution of their freedom from bondage being given to this image he had created, he then declares it has some sort of spiritual value to it. As if this fashioned calf, this unintimidating, intimidating, almost cuddlesome form, could possibly represent God in all of his glory. And the Lord is the one who decides how he should be worshipped. And how, had he already told them, specifically, you shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything. You shall not bow down and worship them. To worship in the way we choose as opposed to the way he wants is sin. Transgression is ours. This is us. This is us. Now what do we glean from the Lord's perspective here? The Lord spoke to Moses and he tells him, go down to the mountain and he tells him exactly what the people are up to. Let's pick up in verse 9. The Lord also said to Moses, I have seen this people. They are indeed a stiff-necked people. Now leave me alone so that my anger may burn against them and I can destroy them. Then I will make you into a great nation. And in our homework, we looked at the word stiff-necked, right? We saw that it had this... um, Uh, revolving around a disobedient heart, this refusing to be mindful of what the Lord had said. And we saw that the antidote to that was a yielded heart, one that was to return to the Lord in obedience. A yielded heart in waiting? A yielded heart worships, rightly. We hear the Lord tell Moses, leave him alone, right? So his anger can burn. He sounds cute and cuddlesome now, doesn't he? He has anger to burn. And it's not just over this minor party at the base of a mountain. It's over a people he has drawn unto himself, provided for, redeemed, and they've rejected him. Romans 1, 21 through 23, describes an idolatrous heart like this. For though they knew God, they did not glorify him as God. Is that what's happening? Yes. They didn't show gratitude. Instead, their thinking became worthless and their senseless hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, birds, four-footed animals, and reptiles. The exchange of the glory of the immortal God for anything lesser is idolatry and is worthy of the burning hot anger of the Lord. What do you and I exchange the glory of God for? When we continue to allow our minds to constantly be drawn to lesser things, over and over again. Those things don't satisfy. And this is brokenness. This is us. Before entering the first of four intercessory prayers of Moses, let's note how Moses is not pulled by this human tendency we've been talking about, the anxiety, the abandonment. Instead, he's pulled by a holy tendency Moses not only foreshadows Christ as a mediator between God and man, but also as an intercessor. So let's look at what he has prayed. He delays in going down the mountain briefly, but purposefully to intercede on behalf of the Israelites. Follow me in verse 11. But Moses sought the favor of the Lord his God. Lord, why does your anger burn against your people you brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and a strong hand. Why should the Egyptians say he brought them out with evil intent to kill them in the mountains and eliminate them from the face of the earth? Turn from your fierce anger and relent concerning the disaster planned for your people. Remember your servants, Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, You swore to them by yourself and declared, I will make your offspring as numerous as the stars in the sky. I will give your offspring all this land that I have promised. They'll inherit it forever. In his prayer, we see that Moses' perspective is not centered on the people, their goodness, their effort, or their work. His prayer is focused on God. He intercedes on behalf of who God is, his actions, his attributes. We see this when he's saying, remember what you have done. Remember who these people belong to. You. Remember your reputation. Remember your promises. This hinges on who God is. Our intercessory prayers hinge on who God is. Verse 14 so the Lord relented concerning the disaster he had said he would bring on his people. Do we see him change his mind? The Lord is seen to quickly relent. It's as though he knew he would. This is mercy and this is our God. After interceding, Moses comes down and he witnesses their idolatry firsthand. He takes the inscribed Ten Commandments and he shatters them. This is a a, a symbolic gesture of the covenant that had been established was now broken. Broken. Times of waiting are going to occur often in our lives and it is how we respond in those times that proves what is in our hearts. We see also the hearts of the Israel wanted an experience of worship. They wanted to sing, they wanted to dance, they wanted to eat, they wanted to party as unto the Lord. Yet remember it is the Lord who decides how he wants to be worshiped. Moses takes the golden calf. Remember this scene? He burns it. He grinds it into a powder. He scatters it over the surface of the water and he forces them to drink it. Can you picture them on their knees by the brook and they are looking at their reflection tainted by their sin? Drink it in. Sin, idolatry, it taints the heart of the worshiper of God. And I wonder if while they drink it in, they may have considered how it would escape their body. As the refuse that it was, a waste of worship. How many times do we go in wanting a good experience in worship instead of wanting God? Before we approach the difficult part of chapter 32, let us remember the warning the Israelites were given in Exodus 20. They heard the word of the Lord giving the warning death destruction they even heard the part about their children and their grandchildren warning given wrong done do they deserve to be destroyed yes yes they do they did had god relented from utterly wiping out all of them yes yes he had he's already shown Great mercy. Verse 26. And Moses stood at the camp's entrance and said, Whoever is for the Lord, come to me. And all the Levites gathered around him, and he told them, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Every man, fasten his sword to his side, go back and forth through the camp from entrance to entrance, and each of you kill his brother, his friend, his neighbor. What do we do when we come to parts of scripture like that? It lays there inspired by God for his people to read, to contemplate, to think about, to desperately seek his face concerning. We should feel the need for his help to interpret it. Do we read it with piety and deem ourselves more lavish in grace than God? Do we read quickly without pondering what the text says who he is? Do we dismiss portions because they don't fit the form that our imagination has created of God? No. We read, we reread, we read and we pray at the same time. We think, we rethink, we think and we pray at the same time time second Timothy is quite encouraging to me chapter 2 verse 7 says this think over what I say the Lord will grant you understanding we are to think it over it is good to love God in his word with all our hearts with all our mind and with all our strength and so loving the Lord with all my heart in this portion made me question but God if you relented why did some still die Loving him with all my mind looked like rereading and outlining and placing this text in the broad spectrum and scope of the whole Bible, which led me to think of Colossians 3 5 through 10, where it talks about putting to death our idolatry and waging war on our sin. Loving him with all my strength required much patience. Depending on him to guide us through his word is a necessity. And don't miss this. The Lord provided opportunity for them to profess if they were for him. When Moses declared, come to me if you are for him. This is grace. This is our God. When all the Levites gathered around him, where was everyone else? Not gathering, not for the Lord. We read in verse 28, the Levites did as Moses commanded, and about 3,000 men fell dead that day among the people. Sin has consequences and deserves punishment. And those who reject the Lord will find themselves at war with him. is not cute god is not tolerant of it we don't get to formulate this idea that oh well god is a god of love so we can sin against him and he'll just forgive us he is love but he is simultaneously just this is justice and this is our god Let's pick up in verse 31 at the second intercessory prayer of Moses. The following day, Moses said to the people, You have committed a grave sin. Now I will go up to the Lord, and perhaps I will be able to atone for your sin. So Moses returned to the Lord, and he said, Oh, these people have committed a grave sin. They have made a God of gold for themselves. Now if you would only forgive their sin, but if not, please erase me from the book you have written anybody else curious about that book yeah it talks about it several times throughout Scripture as God's book and it's it's a book of remembrance a way of keeping track of those who've obeyed and honored the Lord does the Lord need to keep records no it works like a metaphor something a picture that gives us clarification that the Lord does not forget Those who love and obey him. This is remembrance. This is our God. Moses intercedes, asking the Lord to forgive them, but if not, place their sin upon himself as if he were the one who had dishonored God. Note that in verse 30, it says that word, perhaps. Perhaps I will be able to atone for your sin. You see, Moses understands something. God remains sovereignly free to bestow his grace or to not. This is not Moses giving an ultimatum here. The Lord replies to Moses Whoever has sinned against me, I'll erase from my book. Now go lead the people to the place I told you. See, my angel will go before you, but on the day I settle accounts, I will hold accountable for their sin. And the Lord inflicted a plague on the people. For what they did with the calf Aaron had made, the Lord does not grant Moses' request here. And we too must understand, as Moses did, he is sovereignly free to bestow his grace upon his people or not to. This is sovereignty. And this is our God. The interceding of Moses is a foreshadowing of Jesus Christ. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says this, For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And we see here that where Moses could not, God can. This is atonement, and this is our God. Chapter 33 begins with the Lord telling Moses he will keep his promise to his people. Yay! He'll give them the land. He'll drive out the inhabitants. They'll still get all the benefits, but they won't get the benefactor. He'll send an angel, but he himself will not go with them. In verse 4, and when the people heard this bad news, they mourned. And they didn't put on their jewelry. For the Lord said to Moses, Tell the Israelites, you are a stiff necked people. If I went with you for a single moment, I would destroy you. Sometimes I feel like saying that to my children. (laughs) Now take off your jewelry and I'll decide what to do with you. You see, they did agree with the Lord. Yep, we're stiff necked. We're stubborn. We're hard to lead. We're unyielding in heart. And yes, we need you with us. Desperately. More than the gold that she gave. One of my biggest takeaways from chapter 20 in Heather's teaching was when she stated this. She said, sin affects not only you, but also those around you. So does repentance. I loved that it's what we see on display right here we see that freedom comes in the following as he leads his people to repentance Paul in summarizing his ministry declares I preached that they should repent and turn to God and demonstrate their repentance by their deeds we can define repentance as a change of mind that results in a change of action. A change of mind that results in a change of action. This change of action, putting off of their jewelry, serves as a reminder not only of what they had repented from, but who they were turning to. Another change of action took place as they're given a second opportunity to wait upon the Lord. Read with me in verse 10. As all the people saw the pillar of cloud remaining at the entrance of the tent, they would stand up, bow and worship, each one at the door of his tent. They're watching. They're waiting. And this time, we see a change of action Now, while they are waiting, they are worshiping the one true God. The Israelites have a change of mind here, and it does result in a change of action. This is repentance. This is us. Let's pick up in verse 12 as we hear the third prayer of Moses in our portion tonight. Moses said to the Lord, look, you have told me, lead these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You said, I know you by name, and you have also found favor with me. Now, if indeed I have found favor with you, please teach me your ways, and I will know you so that I may find favor in you. Now consider that this nation is your people. And he replied, my presence go with you and i will give you rest and here goes moses again you ready if your presence does not go don't make us go how will it be known that i and your people have found favor with you unless you go with us i and your people will be distinguished by this from all other people on the face of the earth moses is desperate the Lord's favor. When we favor someone, we want to be with them. If you don't go, don't make us go. We delight in their company. We usually favor people who favor us. In the same way, God shows favor to those who delight in him and give him honor. The favor of God is his demonstrated delight over his children his very presence with us is a demonstration of his favor and the gravity of what Moses is asking that he is requesting this holy holy God to take in this unholy 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 people accept them as his own and show them favor he doesn't cast a good light on them he casts the light where it's supposed to be and he pleads for favor from the Lord it's a big request but is it not ours as well we need him verse 17 the Lord answered Moses I will do this very thing you have asked for you have found favor with me and I know you by name and what does Moses do he begs for more he does it again this is the heart cry of one who loves God. Please let me see your glory. And we can think of glory as the weight, the essence, the value of who God is. That's what he's asking for, it's what he's desperate for. This pleases the Lord because he wants to be known rightly and he wants to be known personally. Is our human tendency to be just fine with the way things are between us and God? Or do we have that holy drive, that pull, that hunger, that desperation that we just got to know him more? we got to know him more. we got to know him rightly. In verse 19, he says, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you. I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But he added, you cannot see my face for humans cannot see me and live. And the Lord said, here is a place near me. You're to stand in the rock. And when my glory passes by, I will put you in the crevice of the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take my hand away, and you will see my back, but my face will not be seen. I vividly remember reading this particular passage when I was early 20s, maybe, and just weeping at verse 19 at the sheer thought that God's glory was his goodness. The weight, the value, the very essence of who he is is good. It's good when we transgress. His mercy is good. His discipline is good. His justice is good. And it's that goodness, that kindness that leads us to repentance. It's his goodness that draws us near and hides us in the rock. As we follow the words of the Lord to Moses, we hear in chapter 34, verse 1 through 4, that Moses is to cut two new stone tablets, and that which was broken will be restored. The Lord passed in front of him, and he proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, is a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, And abounding in faithful love and truth, maintaining faithful love to a thousand generations, forgiving rebellion, iniquity, and sin. All of those um, attributes at the beginning the compassion, the grace, the faithful love, the truth propels the forgiveness. He gives us forgiveness will not let the guilty go unpunished bringing consequences of the father's iniquity on the children and the grandchildren to the third and fourth generation and nobody likes that part right yeah nobody likes that part when they're the guilty party but what about when they're the victim we like that part when we're the victim We need that part. We need that part. This is justice and this is our God. He is holy and he is righteous and we want him to judge justly. The balance and blend, the perfect union of this mercy and this justice they're seen throughout Scripture from beginning to end. And the Lord holds them both in his sovereign hands. The goodness and glory of God is not something simple. It's a complex wonder. All of his uniquely glorious attributes come together in perfection and are put on display in who? Christ Jesus. The hope of glory this is glory and this is our god this proclamation of his glory brings us to the fourth and final prayer of moses in this portion verse eight moses immediately knelt low on the ground and worshiped then he said my lord if i have indeed found favor with you Please go with us, even though we are a stiff-necked people. Forgive our iniquity and our sin and accept us as your own possession. Notice the posture of prayer. He's low in worship. Notice that Moses longs. He just had this great experience, right? He longs for more than this mountaintop experience with God. Moses is humbly asking God to restore the covenant based on who God is and in spite of who they are. This is us and this is God. And this is restoration. And the Lord said in verse 10, Look! I am making a covenant in the presence of all your people. I will perform wonders that have never been done in the whole earth or in any nation. And all the people you live among will see the Lord's work for what I am doing with you. is all inspiring. This is restoration. This is our God. The covenant we have broken, a covenant he restored. You see, like the Israelites, we too have that sin problem. Like the Israelites, we too have a tendency to worship something like God. This is transgression. But God has given us opportunity to come if we are for him. To take off our jewelry, to mourn our human condition apart from him. And we too can have a change of mind that results in a change of action this is repentance what's more is that we can receive god's mercy and be reconciled to him through the work of his son christ jesus this is restoration we too can worship the lord rightly we can enter into a covenant with him know him Find favor with him and be favored by him, not from a distance, but right at his throne. Not only a mountaintop experience, but in the day in and the day out knowing of God. And this is the gospel. This is our God. Beholding the glory of God rightly leads us to the gospel from transgression to repentance, from repentance to restoration, and from restoration to reflection. We reflect what we worship. We worship what we behold. As Moses beheld the glory of God, he worshiped and was radiant. And we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into that same image from one degree of glory to another. God is the source of all glory. We are but a reflection of him, a result of our vibrant, favored relationship with him. So, as we close in prayer this evening, I would like to guide us through some considerations. Would you stand with me? Lord, you are more than enough all your ways are glorious all your attributes are good may we see you rightly and be satisfied in you help us consider all we've learned in your word ladies let's just keep our eyes closed and consider these things where are you in your relationship with the lord Is it vibrant, distant, or non-existent? If it is vibrant, you are talking with him as one does with a friend. You're interceding on behalf of others according to who God is. You favor him, delight in him, want more of him, and he favors you. Praise Him for that closeness and guard it. If it is distant tonight, just tell Him. Ask Him to teach you His ways and remember that He's made a way for you to come and approach His throne of grace with confidence, knowing you will find grace. In your time of need. Remember that he knows you by name. Maybe tonight your relationship is just non-existent. Know this, God wants to be known rightly and by you. If tonight you need to repent and turn from sin, and toward him. Repentance is ours. In Christ Jesus, the Lord, he will forgive you and accept you, and he will restore all that has been broken. Because this is our God, and he is good. Let's worship.